0: From Vine pairs New York City headquarters, this is End of Day Drinks, where we sit down with the movers and shakers in the beverage industry. So pour yourself a glass and listen along with us. Let's start the show. On today's episode of End of Day Drinks, we're talking with Aleko Esqueta, the vice president of Grey Goose North America. Aleko's going to tell us all about how Grey Goose was invented in the first place and why they made the decision to produce the vodka in France. We're also going to hear all about the really cool new innovations that may be coming down the pipeline. And we'll just get a really deep and intimate understanding of the brand. So let's start the show. What's up, everybody? I'm VinePair co founder Adam Teeter, and this is End of Day Drinks. And today I am really thrilled to be joined by the North American head of Grey Goose, Aleko Asketa. Aleko, what's going on?
1: Hey, Adam, how's it going? Good man. Thank you, you so
0: much. Yeah, I'm really excited. And like, you know, it's not just me and you on the, on, on the podcast. As always, I'm joined with a, by a, a members of the Vinepair editorial team. First of all, joined by my co-founder of Vinepair, Josh. What's up, Josh?
2: Hey, how you doing? Glad to be on one of these finally.
0: I know, seriously. Well, it's the third, so you know, you only missed the first two. Uh, also joined by uh, Vinepair tastings director, Keith Beavers.
3: What's going on? And glad to be on here for the first time finally.
0: Yeah. And Vinepair staff writer, Tim McCurdy.
4: Last but not least, glad to be here.
0: Yeah, I know you were going to say that. <laughs> so, so like I mean, I mean, I was really excited to have you on because I feel like Grey Goose is this brand that is just iconic. So, just so you know, I'm not I'm going I'm to give uh, you know a lot of nostalgia in this conversation, but a, just a little bit. So, for those unfamiliar with how Vine Pair started, uh, you know, Josh and I co-founded it, you know, in 2014. But we actually go way back. We were actually college roommates, and I will never forget. Like one of the coolest things ever was like when we went and bought what Josh liked to refer to as mother goose, which was like the large, (laughs) the large large bottle of gray goose. It was always like that thing where you felt like you, you really had arrived when you brought mother goose to a party, um, or you, you know, you, you drank it with friends. And it's just, it was this brand that I feel like for me was one of the first that I really knew as I was, you know, learning about drinks as like a premium brand, um, So I'd love if you could start off by just sort of telling us a little about, like, how did that happen? You know, how did Grey Goose sort of come out of nowhere and become this brand that is now recognized by so many people as the pinnacle of vodka?
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I'd love to. Uh, So Grey Goose, I mean, it just is this phenomenon really. It was founded in 1997 by just an industry legend, uh, Sidney Frank, Uh, you know, for those of you... You know that that I've heard of Sydney. Um, he was kind of this larger than life, you know, personality. Just would wear these colorful outfits. Always had this like giant cigar in his hand. Uh, you know, Bon Vivant. Um, just loved the Epicurean world. And if you remember, like during this time, like in the late '90s, a little bit kind of that that bling era, uh, right? The economy was soaring. Luxury goods were soaring. And uh, we started seeing what we were kind of like luxury vodkas at the time. And Grey Goose was part of a set that, you know, initially you saw like, you know, Belvedere and and Chopin. And there were some other, you know, um, vodkas that come out. And then a a lot of others that, you know, still aren't aren't even around to this day. Um, But most of those, you know, vodkas were pretty kind of that like Eastern European feel. They might have had the frosted bottle. but it but there were, it, it didn't have like all the colors of gray i think when you see gray goose it's just so iconic uh because you have like the warmth coming through the bottle uh it you know you look at it like the flying you know the flying geese uh which we call the flock so i, I think there's a social aspect to it uh so just like from just the bottle itself i think was striking even adam to your point when you were saying like when you first got the, you know that gray goose you know magnum it's like i've arrived so i think the bottle was really unique, and then what Sidney Frank did, which was I think it just really like kind of turned the category on its head, is like you know I think back when you when you thought vodka you would think like oh Eastern Europe or that, that's where vodkas come from, uh, but Sidney Frank was like man all the best things come from France from the from a gastronomical perspective the you know the best wheat uh, the wines the cheeses, um, so he almost did something like you know it's almost like blasphemy I'm gonna create a vodka from uh, not just France Uh, but from the Cognac region of France, uh, which is, you know, it's pretty incredible and uh, and paradigm shifting at the time. And then almost coming out like if it was a wine. So uh, one of the original Grey Goose ads was like this wine rating uh, where, you know, it actually won in these competitions, world's best tasting vodka, and that's how it was marketed. And, you know, and he was also a very generous uh, person. So, you know, we, he would put Grey Goose every time he did like a charity event, uh, you know, with, with in, he would feed it uh, and he's like, listen, uh, I don't only really want to price it, um, you know, a, a little bit premium. He went and he, he was almost, you know, like $10 higher than the nearest competitor at the time. So the brand just started taking off and then it just, you know, started ingraining itself organically in, in you know, popular culture and really just becoming a cultural phenomenon. And I'm very fortunate, um, Adam, because I actually got to work on the brand right when Bacardi purchased it in 2004. Um, so I was the brand director from 04 to 08. Uh, so the brand at this point is it was still a relatively young brand. And now I have this like amazing opportunity to come back to the brand where it has this iconic uh, status in 2020. Cool, very cool.
3: Hey man, I have a question. This is Keith, uh, tastings director. Um, is this? I, I don't really know much about vodka. Is this the first French vodka, or is, is it, there always have been? But this is just one of them.
1: Yeah, you know, I think you know, obviously vodka as being a you know a, a grain spirit. Uh, you know, I'm sure that you know there were others in France, but Gregus is really the first one. Um, you know, to really, you know, promote France as, as its origin, its sense its place and particularly, you know, cognac. So yeah, that definitely, I think very unique to Grey Goose.
0: Cool. Interesting. Very cool. So, all right. So basically the brand, so when did the brand come to Bacardi and do you know what the decision was? I mean, obviously it was an explosive brand at the time, but like when the brand came to Bacardi, um, you know, had Bacardi been looking to have a vodka for a while? Do you, do you know that backstory a little bit? Like what, Um, what went into that decision-making process and sort of how the brand evolved once it came to Bacardi?
1: Yeah, for sure. So for sure, Bacardi was, you know, looking for a vodka. I think, you know, when you look at the spirits industry in general, uh, you know, a lot of the big players, us naturally being one of them, you know, you're you're looking to have a representative across, you know, multiple categories. And in fact, Mm. when I started at Bacardi, we had just purchased uh, Dewar's whiskey and, uh, and Bombay Sapphire as a result of the Diageo merger uh, that took place. So now, you know, we had the rum, we had we had our gin, we had our scotch, but you know, vodka was, was just this huge category, and, and we still had a void. Uh, and and really, when I, I I remember clearly, like when we were able to to work the deal out, you know, with Sydney Frank, it was it was just like you know. This is like the absolute perfect fit. Um, you know, one Sidney a family company, Bacardi's a family mm-hmm. company, uh, integrated very well. But then we also have a very premium portfolio, so it fit in really nicely with everything that we're doing. And, and the brand, you know, it, it just creates such emotion, such a part of you know culture, that you know, I think we were all just like ecstatic um, when the trans- when uh, we were able to purchase it and and bring the brand in house and have the opportunity. Uh, to market and sell it, and and then also, what we were able to do was there was also a massive global opportunity uh, with the brand as well. So you know, at the time, it was very much um, a, a U.S. brand with with you know some presence in France, uh, but we were able to take it you know you know throughout the world, which was also you know fantastic um, experience.
4: Hey Aleko, uh, Tim here, staff writer. Um, I was wondering. So so given that you've um well, like you say, I th- I think Grey Goose really does. When you look at Bacardi's other portfolio, like really does have a natural fit there. But I was wondering, um, how how have you experienced uh, vodka sort of evolving during your time there, or maybe more like the vodka market? What what have you seen? What what have you witnessed? And and where do you feel like the category is now?
1: Yeah, no. So I think the category, um, you know, is in a good place. And I think it's actually, you know, getting even better because, you know, vodka went through a little bit of a phase kind of in the in the 2000s where um, you started getting a lot of artificial brands coming in. There was like confectionery vodka. Uh, I mean, I remember everything from, you know, cotton yeah. candy vodka, bacon vodka, like, yeah. <laughs> just like anything you could think of. Right. Uh, there were different vodkas. And Grey Goose has always just been really true to, true to itself. Um, uh, I mean, my other passion, I love like whiskey as, uh, as a category, particular single malt, because it's so pure, right? You have, it's malted, uh, barley, water, and yeast. And Grey Goose is very much, um, the same thing. You know, when I, when I think of vodka, Grey Goose to me is, is kind of the vanguard brand in it because, uh, we truly are a crop to cork brand. Terrar is very important. Um, so although image plays a, b- a big part of vodka and mixability from a brand standpoint, you know, Gregus really has it all but you know, we are, we, we know exactly where it comes from the Picardy region of France. We have our Gensac spring water. And although a lot of vodka, you know, they, they talk about all these like eh, 20 times distilled, right. We're actually very proud. We actually have one distillation because we're using the best ingredients and we actually want, our vodka to have, you know, a a taste to it and be distinctive. And so I think, you know, as people learn, you know, more about vodka as a category, you know, it's really has just as as beautiful and and interesting story as as the other spirits categories that are out there.
2: Hey, uh, this is Josh here. Aleka, you mentioned uh, international. Uh, So I was wondering, um, I guess a twofold question. Uh, I assume the U.S. is the biggest market for Grey Goose. But uh, where else are big markets, and is what's Grey Goose like domestically in France?
1: Yeah, so the U.S. is the biggest market for Grey Goose still, but you know the, the share. You know we're continuing to diversify it. Um, so in France, you know it's it's basically you'll find it at all you know the top you know accounts in France and you know the serious mixology accounts uh, and, and people, you know, know it in France, not, it's not as big of a category uh, vodka in France. So it's, you know, whiskey is still like a dominant category in France, but Grey Goose has a brand. I think it has, there's a lot of pride to it. And especially I think when you go to, you know, the Cognac region, there's one, of the things that's unique to us is uh, you know, we actually have our own cellar master uh, Francois Thibault uh, and he's been with the brand, since the inception. Uh, so in that sense, I think the brand is very French. Um, you know, the, there's a lot of, of pride in the craftsmanship of it. And then other international markets where the brand does very well, just throughout Europe, uh, UK, Germany, um, Israel does great with the brand. Uh, so it really is starting to get a global footprint, uh, Latin America as well. So th- I think that's what's just awesome to see it, you know, coming back to the brand. Uh, you know, almost like a decade later, just seeing how iconic it, it is. And it's, you know, truly a, a global brand.
0: So a question for you really quickly, Aleko. So yep. we thought of this a bunch internally. And I think we could we could talk about this with you, you know, for a long time, like how what causes certain brands to win and, um, you know, and continue to win and what causes other brands to sort of Never get quite there, and I know you have experience not only of obviously being at Bacardi, but you you know you had your own brands for a while. Um, what has really allowed Grey Goose to maintain kind of this like you know iconic status as like the the top premium vodka in especially at least among American consumers for yep. so long? I mean, like a ton of brands have run at you guys, right? Like a ton of brands have tried to look like you guys, yeah, and no one's ever been able to do it. Why?
1: Yeah, no, that's, you know, that's a great question. Um, and it's, you know, it's a little bit out of like, what what's like the magic in the sauce? But I think yeah. with Grey Goose, when you look at it, I mean, it, it starts with the consumer. Um, like we have such kind of like this, like a, a very fanatical like consumer base. They're just so passionate about Grey Goose because it, it just reminds them of, of celebration, good times, right? Um, the brand is just has this positive aura to it. Uh, also, we've been incredibly consistent throughout the years with like everything that we've done, right? So always like maintaining, you know, the image of the brand. Um, and that one of the, you know, the benefits also of working, you know, being within uh, a bigger organization uh, is that, you know, we can really from a production capacity as well, just maintain the, the integrity and the consistency of the product. But I think more than anything, it's, it's just the consistency, like of the product, everything that we've done, uh, just maintaining our relevance, you know, with the consumer, and and a lot of times it's just letting like the consumer tell the stories, and just really being a part, you know, of those occasions, where, you know, it's all it's it's about celebration and, and feeling good, uh, which obviously is, has been very interesting um, this year, right? Because I think special occasions and the, the celebratory moments that Gregus is known for uh, you know, definitely this has been a year like no other. Interesting.
3: I have a question. Uh, this is Keith. Um, is vodka, uh, this, like when you're, when you're, you know, when you're out there in the market, is it, is it a a mixology thing or is it a straight up thing? Is there a, is there a two, like two categories of people that dig vodka? Like, yeah, I want this straight up. I don't want to put anything in it. And then there's people that like, you know, the cocktail movement.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I think it's why, you know, obviously it's such a massive category because you kind of play in, in both sides. But I think with um, when you get into a brand like Grey Goose, where, you know, the people that consume it, you know, they really care about, you know, what is uh, either if it's a cocktail, you know, what is the base ingredient or if you're drinking it on its own, right? So you, you have. Uh, like the martini aficionados uh, they'll even be you know putting the thermometer in the martini to, you know to make sure it's you know, the temperature that they want
4: wow.
1: um right so that you know they're they really care right about you know what vodka you know am i using uh and, and again the purity of it and and i think with greg house, like i mentioned before it's also it has a, cer- a certain taste to it. it's unique i think there is um this misconception that hey all vodkas are the same right mm-hmm. but it really depends on you know on how you know how it's made the the taste profile of it uh, but then the mixology movement is you know is massive right and I think as yeah. as that evolves you know you want to be using like the, the best base ingredient that you can right no matter what cocktail yeah. you're making and um again like this year has just been really interesting just because you know now the mixology movement you know is now uh, gone residential right it's not just a, at a bar you know we're seeing our consumers now uh you know becoming expert mixologists in their home right right
0: so you know obviously the the brand is really iconic in pop culture um and you know from hip hop to country you know r&b and sort of what does the brand think about sort of it's you know, prevalence in pop culture. And I think, you know, is that something that you guys have also cultivated? Did that happen, you know, sort of just by chance? Um, And if you did cultivate it, how do you continue to cultivate it now? Was that basically what you asked Katie? Yep. There you go. So now like you can act like she just asked it and you can jump right into the, to
1: the answer. Uh, Perfect. No, no. Thank you, Katie, for that question. It's a great question. Um, Yeah. You know, I think to be, to be honest, it's probably a bit of a combination of both. Uh, So I think organically, you know, we've seen, you know, Grey Goose end up in hip hop songs and films from product placement, you know, completely unearned. I also think, you know, over the years we've had, you know, consistent campaigns where we're showing up, you know, where that, that influential consumer, you know, is. So we'll, you know, we'll see where they are in the funnel. to whether, you know, it's, it's what they're, what, you know, films are seeing, you know, on the digital side, you know, like, you know, where, where are they? You know, we you know, we want to be present to make sure we're tapping into those influencers. Um, you know, we do things like the U.S. O- like the U.S. Open event uh, where we have the Honeydews in New York and, and we'll, we'll see like some of our um, uh, influencers, like we have uh, Jay Ellis and Yvonne Orji from, from Insecure, and they're actually creating like their own Grey Goose. And then we help, you know, promote that through social channels as well. So I really think it's like a combination. Uh, you know, to be honest with you, I think the way the brand is positioned. Uh, we've also been very active, you know, historically in film. Uh, you know, sp- sp- sponsoring, you know, a lot of uh, like the Vanity here. Oscar party, for example. And I and I think things like this, driven by the you know the PR, uh, has kind of led you know to that whole iconic sta- uh, status and and just like the cultural phenomenon that that Grey Goose is. Hey, uh,
2: like this is Josh again. Uh, I was actually about to ask about the Honey Deuce. Um, the last time <laughs> I was at the US Open, I was not of drinking age. Um, growing up in New York, you know, it was something that was awesome to do in the summer, end of summer. Um, how, how did that come about? Um, you know, I really don't know the history at all. Was that a, a, a vodka-based drink that was served at the Open before you guys came in? Or is that something you created together? Uh, I'm just really interested in how that came to be such a signature thing for the brand.
1: Yeah, no, Josh, um, so you're talking to the right person, because I, I can tell you exactly how it was created, uh, and it's, it's going on to 15 years already, which is amazing. So uh, there was a, a gentleman named Nick Matone that helped us uh, create it, and really, the genesis for the kaku obviously wanted something delicious, something that we could feature Grey Goose, but we're like, how do we get this to actually uh, you know, tie back to the whole tennis experience? Uh, and so that's where like the melon balls, you know, came in so that you know they actually look like tennis balls. And really the idea was to, almost to create like what the mint julep became for the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> and it, it it really is it's just been a phenomenon, like if you go on Instagram, like hashtag honeyduce and find it, you'll see like just thousands of pictures to the point I'm like I don't think a US open experience these days is complete uh, without having a Greg's honey deuce. And this year you know, because of uh, obviously the COVID restrictions and the U.S. Open was virtual, you know, we were starting to like, well, how do we still like maintain this tradition? And lo and behold, like the one thing that COVID did for the spirits industry was really accelerate the e com component. Uh, and we were able to, you know, to partner um, with different e-comp groups to actually create the Gregu's Honey Deuce Kit and people could order that to their home and actually at least have the closest thing to their US Open experience uh, at home that they used to have on site.
0: That's really interesting. Um, so, question for you, like, I mean, like, so obviously, I, I, I know you're a fan of VinePair, which I, I'm very thankful for and appreciate. So, you may be aware of this, but it would not be a VinePair editorial meeting if we didn't talk about hard seltzer. And so, my question for you is how has hard seltzer impacted the vodka category? um or how have you seen it and due to hard seltzer's meteoric rise has gray goose considered you know rtds or or things of that nature for the future i mean i know i've only i've seen it a few times now recently with you know other brands but Grey Goose being so premium i'm curious if you've considered it too
1: yeah no uh thanks for that question adam so i mean obviously like like probably like every major liquor company, right? We have kind of like a robust pipeline of of innovation ideas uh, that we look at. I think when uh, when you talk about hard seltzer, we we usually refer to them as like the RTD category or or ready to drink, mm-hmm. uh, and and I think it's really tapping you know into that trend. Just just a convenience, um, you know, just people looking you know for for a different alternatives. Uh, a lot of the research that we see it really steals a lot of share uh, from beer. Uh, But it does, there's no doubt, like to your point, that it also increases uh, the occasions or the penetrations of of brands. So within our company, you know, Bacardi, for example, launched an RTD and it's been incredibly successful. And the Bacardi RTD, it's unique, because it's actually rum-based versus malt-based. So, you know, we we don't have any plans for for a grave use RTD. Um, You know, again, I would never say never, but Mm -hmm. I do think whatever we did, because just being Grey Goose, you know, we would have to do something, um, you know, that was in line with with Grey Goose itself, with what people come to expect, you know, from the Grey Goose experience. Uh, But yeah, I mean, and and I think even now, like, again, with COVID, um, you know, the RTD has taken off even more just because, you know, you have your cocktail, you know, in a can already, you don't have to, like, worry about preparing it, having someone else prepare for you. Uh, So it, it really is You know, it's just a a massive um, phenomenon that's going on right now in the industry. Yeah, totally.
4: And can I follow on with um, something sort of semi-related, but also not for that? So, you know, obviously, hard seltzer has been this incredible trend over the past few years. But I think when we typically look at drinks trends, uh, we see those as as kind of being born out of uh, like on-premise experiences um, kind of across the board. And given that we were really kind of robbed from robbed of that for the most part of, of 2020, Aleko, I was wondering what you think we can expect to see in terms of drinks trends uh, in 2021, um, maybe within vodka or, or even without just given your experience. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, I'll be honest. I, I'm, a, I'm a very optimistic person. So I'm actually very excited about some of the trends that I think are going to come out of this. Uh So first and foremost, you know, one of the things that's that's really interesting is that I I feel like what we call it the home premise, like internally now, because it's it's almost like you take the off premise, on premise. But now there's like this whole new avenue, which is the home premise, where it's the rise of of the home bartender or the home mixologist. So now you have people like, you know, making old fashions, Negronis uh, at home. So I think now when the on-premise does open up, when people go to the on-premise, they're going to be looking now just like for a kind of a next level uh, type of of experience with cocktail making. So I think that's going to be uh, one thing. Uh, One thing that we've seen to come out of it is the whole rise of uh, what we call Togo cocktails, right? Where we know Mm -hmm. how people now are like ordering food delivery. Uh, But a lot of these higher end restaurants um, are also you know, having cocktails, uh, that you have the opportunity to have cocktails delivered to your home. So I think that, you know, that's going to be a massive trend. And then I think the other trend that we're seeing is this kind of mindful drinking movement, like lower ABV, uh, spritzes. And I think, you know, I think as people are just a little bit more conscious, you know, of what they're, of what they're consuming, uh, I think that it also is going to carry over to spirits. But I, I do think people are, are going to continue, you know, to go for quality. Um, and And I think that's, really positions uh gray goose well for for f y twenty
0: one so like a, what what cocktails do you guys see or do you think are are going to be made more at home moving forward or what cocktails especially with gray goose are people embracing? is it you know just gray goose with you know tonic or some other mixer or are you seeing people get more? a little bit fancier making, you know, Grey Goose martinis, or I'm curious, and and what are you guys kind of circling around in terms of cocktails? Because Honey Deuce is great, but you know, I I would assume most consumers aren't making that at home.
1: Yeah, you know, I think it it really depends a lot on the occasion. And that's what's great Mm -hmm. about Grey Goose that, you know, it's not limited to be like an after dinner cocktail or an aperitivo. I I think it can play in a lot of different occasions. Um, So for example, you know, this past holiday, you know, we teamed up, um, with uh, one of these you know, cocktail delivery companies, and create a, a great, holiday punch kit that actually you know arrived at your house. This uh, you cocktail courier, you could create your own holiday punch, which was great. Uh, in the summer, um, you know you could do something refreshing. You know, fever tree, for example, make you know it's amazing mixers, and they have great products. So I that. So I live in Miami, Adam. So even you know yeah. in the dead of winter, it's warm. So I've, <laughs> right. I've discovered this uh, this grapefruit, think um, grapefruit fever tree. So just mixing that with Grey Goose, you know, is, is amazing. Uh, and then you have you know as we were talking about earlier, your purists that you know they they really just want the you know their Grey Goose Martini, um, and they're like maniacal about you know how they want it prepared for them. So I, I think that's what, That's why vodka just has you know there's so much opportunity for it. It's such a massive category. Just it can really play in you know every occasion that there is. Sure.
0: And are you are you finding like are you finding more? So I mean, there used to be obviously this movement among bartenders. I don't know, maybe five years ago, where we'd hear like bartenders like, "Oh, like I don't put, I don't use vodka for cocktails." You know, are you seeing that change? I feel like I'm seeing a lot more vodka cocktails, especially like the high end, you know, cocktail places on the list than I used to. Um, or was that just like? you know, snobby uh, Brooklyn bartenders that would always say that five years ago. and Everyone else was always using vodka
1: cocktails. Yeah, no, you know, Adam, I don't think it's necessarily, I would say like, you know, the snobby bartender. I think it's just like vodka was, was just almost became like so ubiquitous, like yeah. late nineties, early two thousands. And then it's different categories. You know, people started learning about different categories and it was kind of this, um almost back to you know the like the the prohibition era style cocktails that's when you know when you had all the speakeasy type of accounts opening up and and so they were trying to go back to more of those prohibition style cocktails uh and that's also when you had like the mix you know the whole rise of the the mixology movement mm-hmm. and then i think what we're seeing you know now is like a lot of mixologists they don't even like that term anymore right they're like i'm a no, bartender right it. um I, I just like to make drinks that people like. Uh, and, and I think that's where, why we're seeing like vodka starting to make a comeback. And I think also as you, as you get into um, more elaborate cocktails with like natural juices and, you know, and, and different purees, like, you know, vodka is just a great, you know, complement to those cocktails that they're creating. Because there has almost been like this blurring of a line between like the bartender and, and the chef, you know, as well.
0: Yeah. You think it was also just like the Cosmo just had become so ubiquitous that people were like, at some point they're just like, we got to find something else. And that sort of was the, re- and vodka kind of became also something to take the fall because it was one of the main ingredients in the drink.
1: Yeah, no, that, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, we all remember like Sex and the City and the and the yeah. Cosmo and Grey Goose was obviously the, the, um, in that, in that, uh, epi- one of the episodes of Sex and yeah. the City. Um, <laughs> But yeah, for sure. I think, you know, I think the co- the Cosmo, you know, just kind of became, you know, I think bartender fatigue, you know, with the cocktail and, th- and they were looking for like the next thing and, and to elevate their craft. So I definitely think, you know, that probably played a role in it. Uh, but yeah, I, I think now, you know, we're seeing like also people are kind of back to like simplicity and and trying to, to really just work with the best ingredients, you know, that they can. And and I think that's a very favorable, you know, trend for Grey Goose and, and vodka as a, as a category whole.
0: Well, awesome. I mean, so this has been a really interesting conversation before I let you go. I do. I obviously would love to sort of hear if there's anything on the horizon. All of us would for, for Grey Goose in, in 2021. Obviously, you know, we're in a new year finally, um, which is awesome. Um, you know, 2020 was a rough one. Um, is there any really cool stuff on the horizon that you guys are working on or anything you can share with us or, you know, for the big brand plans this year?
1: Yeah, I mean, more than anything, I, you know, I'm looking um, really forward to just kind of the return, you know, of the on-premise and mm-hmm. how we can play a role in it. Because, you know, any way you cut it, you know, this has been a really difficult year. Uh, I think all of us, you know, working in this industry, we have a lot of friends, you know, in the hospitality space. Uh, and they've really been hit, you know, obviously very hard. And and we've tried to do a lot of initiatives as, as an organization, um, you know, to help with that from a Tip Your Bartender program, That we had, uh, where we would match, uh, you know, the tips that people gave bartenders when we would feature them on our social media accounts, you know, also from just from the, you know, you know, basically, I I think just people wanting, you know, also to get back and experience the on-premise. So one of the trends I'm really looking forward to is I think this whole concept of like alfresco, um, you know, cocktail and dining. So I, I I'm really excited to be a part of that, like creating like these like refreshing. Uh, you know, really playing a role in these like spritz style cocktails uh, that are refreshing uh, and, and really tie in well to the whole outdoor experience, which I, I think will be a big trend, especially, you know, going to spring and summer of next year.
0: Makes a lot of sense. Well, Aleko, thank you so much for taking the time to join us all for drinks. We also we appreciate you guys uh, all sending us a bottle of Grey Goose. It has been delicious to sip on. Actually, I am curious if uh, any members of the staff have made a special cocktail with their gray
4: goose uh, since since we've joined I, I, mean, know, Tim...
3: I must be a purist because I'm just drinking it straight
4: Tim well I went for a miniature martini just because it's it's not quite <laughs> that time of, of afternoon yet but you know it helped it was lovely <laughs> Josh what do you, what'd you make man
2: so my bar is pretty bare right now <laughs> and uh, I was rushing home uh, to get here on time and uh I got to say it's delicious. I took a lemon spindrift, put it in my uh, Gold Room Cocktail Kingdom tumbler, some ice, and some grape Goose. And it's a, it's a very tasty, refreshing
0: drink. I dig it. Well, I actually made a cosmopolitan. My- Ooh, <laughs> wow. i felt like i had to i was like you know i was feeling nostalgic and it it is a delicious drink that i think everyone just got sick of but is actually gonna make a comeback i think because it's ah. really quite good listen <laughs> listen drink.
1: i adam i agree with you uh i mean we, hey we have top gun coming back this summer you know oh, would wow. it surprised me to it's like a, a retro uh you know cosmo make a comeback i gotta say i think it's, it's going to gun can come
3: <laughs> <in> the-
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly well like i was
0: Thank you so much again for joining us. This has been really, really uh, awesome to get to know you and the brand. We really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, have a great 2021.
1: Likewise. Like, thanks, everyone. Appreciate it. Thanks for, Thank
0: you. Thanks. thanks for listening to this week's episode of EOD Drinks. If you've enjoyed this program, please leave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps other people discover the show. And tell your friends. We want as many people as possible listening to this amazing program. And now for the credits. End of Day Drinks is recorded live in New York City at VinePair's Pairs headquarters. And it is produced, edited, and engineered by Vine Pairs Racing Director, yes, he wears a lot of hats, Keith Beavers. I also want to give a special thanks to VinePair's Pairs co-founder, Josh Mallon, to the executive editor, Joanna Skierino, to our senior editor, Kat Walensky, our senior staff writer, Tim McCurdy, and our associate editor, Katie Brown. And a special shout out to Danielle Greenberg, Vinepair's art director who designed the sick logo for this program. The music for End of Day Drinks was produced, written, and recorded by Darby Seaside. I'm Vinepair co-founder Adam Teeter, and we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot.